Hello. On behalf of the Independent Research Forum, welcome to this IRF podcast. I'm David Osman, and with me again today is Kathleen Kelly of Queen Anne's Gate Capital. Our subject for this podcast is the myths and maths of commodity investing. The Independent Research Forum promotes a wide range of the best independent research providers from around the world, both macro and micro. Some stock pickers, some sector specific, some country specific, many global and all are investment related. With the world economy established on a recovery path away from the worst of the COVID-19 crisis, the demand for basic raw materials and energy is rising and various commodities are experiencing a cyclical upswing. But is this the start of a commodity supercycle? Given current valuations, many investors are nervous about the medium-term outlook for both bonds and equities. As an alternative, should investors reassess the case for an increased weighting for commodities? To answer these questions and much more, I'm very pleased that we are joined once more by Kathleen Kelly, who is the founder and chief executive officer of Queen Anne's Gate Capital, a macroeconomic research and consulting firm with a commodity focus, which is based in New York. Prior to launching Queen Anne's Gate Capital as a research firm, Kathleen Kelly ran a commodity-focused global macro hedge fund of the same name. She has over 25 years' experience in macro research and portfolio management within firms such as Kingdom Capital Management, Vantis Capital and Tudor Investment Corporation. Kathleen holds a Bachelor of Arts degree in economics with a minor in mathematics from Smith College and a general course degree in econometrics from the London School of Economics. Queen Anne's Gate Capital Advisory Service combines fundamental research, insight into physical markets, and a risk management overlay to identify opportunities in the commodity investment space. Founded by Kathleen Kelly in 2015, the firm has unique access to both producers and consumers, as well as the ability to interpret data from physical markets. All this information is incorporated mathematically into the financial models, thereby producing a differentiated commodity forecast. Kathleen, welcome back. Let's start with a brief introduction to the advisory services that Queen Anne's Gate Capital provides to your clients in the commodity producing, financial and industrial sectors across the world. Thank you so much for having me today. Queen Anne's Gate was started five years ago, as you mentioned before, and we have a variety of different products that we provide to our clients, including a general commodities update, which goes out once a week and looks at commodities by sector. We also have an oil market update, which is a deep dive that goes out once a week after the Department of Energy numbers. And that goes through all of the data that has come out from both agencies and high frequency data on supply and demand in the oil markets. Lastly, we have a renewables product, which we've just recently started, that looks at everything that's happening in the renewables market, and that comes out on Fridays. So we hope to bring together our experience in the oil markets and energy markets and apply that to the renewable space, because we think that that's the future of where we're going. Now, a key question for investors is, is the inflation trade over 
or are commodity prices experiencing a normal response to the upswing of the business cycle as the world economy recovers from the COVID-19 crisis? And I think, in addition, we wonder whether or not this is the start of a commodities super cycle. So we've been very adamant about saying this is not a commodity super cycle. And the reasons for that are are a few. First of all, you know, in order to have a commodity super cycle, you have to have some exogenous event that shifts the demand curve. And while there's a couple arguments out there that that's happening right now, either due to a greater growth rate of electric vehicles in the world, which use a lot of industrial metals, or just the stimulus and how that's um, going into the lower income population, and that's going to shift the demand curve. Those are the two arguments that you hear most frequently about why this is a commodity super cycle. We don't actually believe that that's true because we've been in the commodities markets for 25 years, as you mentioned before, and commodities are at the end of the day cyclical and mean reverting. And the reason for that is because when you have very high prices, producers do what they're paid to do, which is produce, and consumers look around for a cheaper substitute. And the opposite happens when you have low prices. So you are able to substitute in most of these commodities markets, and you tend to see demand uh, wane when prices get very high. And in fact, we're seeing that right now in a lot of different markets. We're seeing consumers substitute away from different high price commodities to lower price commodities. So we don't believe that it's a super cycle. We do believe that commodities, each individual sector has its own cycle, some of them short, some of them long. But underlying all of that is the energy space because energy is an input into every other commodity. So while we don't think this is a super cycle, we do feel very strongly that energy prices will continue to go up and that's going to support commodity prices to some extent at a higher level than normal. How do you see the outlook for oil inventories affecting crude prices from here? Right. So we've spent a lot of time modeling crude oil. And we think that right now we're about in Q3, we're about to see the largest draws that we've seen in inventory. So people talk about targeting inventories because inventories are 100% correlated with the price of oil. So when when OPEC is talking about targeting inventories, they are essentially targeting prices. And what they want to see and what they've been saying since 2017 is they want to see prices go back or or inventories, i.e. prices, but inventories go back down below the five-year average. And the five-year average that they're thinking of right now doesn't include 2020 because obviously that's been moved very high just because of COVID. So if we're looking at the 2015 to 2019 average, OPEC is targeting bringing inventories below that. Right now, they've actually gotten inventories below that five-year average. And the way that we look at supply demand right now is that demand is going to seasonally demand increases in Q3 anyway, because people in the Northern Hemisphere take their vacation and they a lot of times drive. And so you normally see a million to two million barrel increase in demand in Q3. We think this year it's going to be closer to 4 million barrels a day just because so many different economies are opening up now, like the U.S. and the U.K., and that's where you see a lot of your consumption. But on the supply side, what's different in oil that's different from every other sector is that producers are actually behaving more rationally than they have in the past. So producers in the U.S., for example, are listening to shareholders that are complaining about the lack of 
return on their investments and are looking to see dividends increase and operators produce within free cash flow. And so the level of production has not gone up in the U.S. alongside prices. And so producers in the U.S. have been very disciplined in not increasing production so that the cycle continues and prices then go lower. On the other side of the world, OPEC has done a very good job of being disciplined and adding back supply very slowly. In fact, some would argue too slowly because right now we're seeing this big pickup in demand. So we think that demand jumps this quarter again, and supply is only going to grow slowly because we already know what OPEC's putting back to the market and there's not much other growth around the world. And so we're going to see very large inventories, draws in the third quarter, and that's going to result in much higher prices. Now, one of the things that we've been warning of all along was that you would see gasoline uh, demand in the US, which is the most visible market, and it's also the largest market, but we've been warning that gasoline demand would go to new all-time highs because people would change their behaviors due to COVID. So there would be less public transportation, there would be uh, more people taking a driving vacation this year. There would be more people driving to their office. And so we saw that two weeks ago in the July 4th data where we had record gasoline demand. And we think that's going to continue this summer as people head for their holidays. And in the U.S., due to COVID, we lost a million barrels of refining capacity last year. A number of refineries shut and did not reopen. And so we're going to struggle to make enough gasoline to meet that record demand. And so gasoline inventories in particular are going to go very low this summer and most likely drive gasoline prices much higher. Inflation expectations have been rising this year. Oil prices could be headed higher. Are precious metals a good inflation hedge and a good investment when, as now, world economic growth is recovering? So let me just make a quick comment on inflation expectations. When you look at what drives inflation expectations, it's basically gasoline prices. And so the correlation between those is very high. So just thinking about what I just said about gasoline demand and gasoline inventories and gasoline prices and prices going much higher this summer, you should expect then that inflation expectations are going to follow gasoline prices higher. Back to gold, I've never been a big believer in gold as an inflation hedge. And when you look back, you know, over hundreds of years, you see that gold actually is a better deflation hedge than inflation hedge. The problem with gold is that you have to believe that, you know, at some point, if Armageddon happens, you're going to be able to to use it to transact. And that's no longer a case. I mean, I don't think it was ever a case, but it certainly isn't anymore. And so with digital currencies and with financial innovations such as PayPal and all of that, you don't really have the same kind of desire to ever transact in physical gold on the one side. And on the second point, gold demand really still is coming more from central banks and physical markets than investment demand. And so because there has been some substitution away from gold to things like cryptocurrency, if you don't if you believe that fiat currencies are going to be irrelevant all of them, which is difficult because fiat currencies usually trade in a pair, so if one goes down the other goes up, so you can usually find something that that does well. But if you believe the this is the end of fiat currencies, then you're looking more at things like cryptocurrencies. And then when you look at the supply-demand balances of gold, 
you jewelry demand obviously through covid hasn't been good especially from the two larger markets china and india central bank demand has started to pick up so you are seeing some central banks now putting more gold into their reserves but in general there's just there's not a great story out there for gold still given the pickup in the world economy are developments in china the key to the outlook for ferrous metals and non-ferrous metals yeah they certainly are still because they're the largest consumer and so what's interesting is that china was what was responsible for driving prices so much higher earlier this year because china came out of their covid lockdown much faster than anybody else and so their demand came back much quicker and that resulted in copper prices and iron ore prices and steel prices all going very high now in a managed economy such as china's they've decided that they don't want to see high commodity prices because that's actually a hit to economic growth and so what they're doing is they're trying to both release metals from their reserves from their strategic reserves and also use moral suasion to to stop speculation in the markets because there are financial contracts that trade on most of these commodities in china and also uh hoarding which uh, a lot of commodities have been used as financing vehicles so they're trying to push metal back into the market out of those two hands and in addition release some metals from their strategic reserves and they've even talked about releasing some crude oil as well now china's very very strategic about their strategic reserves and usually are buying when prices are very low and then have not recently released a lot but but are doing so slowly right now and so that has some repercussions for the markets but most people are looking at it as that supply is is coming back into the market but will then need to be replaced and so it doesn't really have a big dramatic impact on supply over the longer term it's you know net neutral but china still is what's been driving metals prices the difference right now is they they are they've been talking about this for a long time but they seem to actually be acting upon this now where they're looking to close production that's particularly dirty on an emission from an emissions point of view so aluminum which is the most energy intensive metal to make steel which is obviously very dirty and they've talked about this for a long time but they actually they've been doing periodic crackdowns but now it seems to actually be happening so at the beginning of the year they said we're going to cut down on all the steel production and steel production in China went to an all-time high now you're starting to see that come off some and that's what's been weighing on iron ore recently same thing for aluminum they have talked about it but you hadn't really seen it in the numbers and now you're starting to see it so they seem to be really tightening up on the production of metals that have emissions issues in order to you know get control of their carbon emissions and turning to the agricultural sector what are the most attractive soft commodities at present from an investment perspective well coffee obviously has just had a crazy week that we've just finished well actually and started this week crazy as well so the coffee market is a two year crop and one year has a much bigger production and then there's an off year which we're in right now for Brazil which is the largest producer so in the off year we've seen drought obviously and that's uh, made people nervous about the crop and then what we just got last week was a freeze and i think we haven't seen a freeze since the 1990s in Brazil 
And so there's some damage. It's still being looked at and we don't have really good estimates of how much has been damaged, but in order to get rid of the frost damage, there has to be some pruning done. And so the question is, is that going to impact the big crop next year where the world is waiting for this bigger crop? So we're, we're drawing down reserves right now because we have the smaller crop. And then next year, all of that would be replenished with a big crop. But now if the freeze has actually damaged both this year and production for next year, it's a totally different story. So you could see prices go much higher still. And there's expectations that there's another freeze coming this weekend. So that's what people are looking at in coffee. You know, I'm not a big believer in the bull story for the sugar market, just because I think people are getting healthier and eating less sugar. And so I think consumption should go down, even though Brazil's using it for ethanol, and we might see other places use it for ethanol. But I never really find the sugar story that compelling on the upside. But the cocoa market looks kind of interesting right now, because the demand numbers that we've seen recently out of Asia, Europe, and the U.S. have been very strong. And the cocoa market's been beaten up because supply has been adequate. But if demand continues to, to grow as quickly as it looks like it did last quarter, then cocoa could be interesting as well. And then just on the agricultural sector, those are very different markets because the cycles are so much shorter, right? You don't have to invest over five to 10 years like you do in industrial metals and oil. You're looking at a two country crop in things like corn and and soybeans where you shift from the US to Brazil and to some extent Argentina and then shift back to the US so it's kind of a 6 month cycle and in wheat you have a number of large crops around the world so pretty much once a month you know another crop goes into the ground so that's an even shorter cycle still so it's hard to get a really bullish story in the wheat market however there are a number of countries right now facing real issues in their wheat crops. So it's not only Russia and Ukraine because of dryness, but in Europe, France and Germany because of too much rain. And then in Canada and the U.S. dryness as well. So the wheat market is is looking pretty interesting. While you know we haven't been as excited about corn and soybeans because we think that the wet weather we got in those areas is enough to improve the crop. And then lastly, one of the really interesting stories out there in this is vegetable oil. So, you know, we've been looking at the way you crush a soybean, you get both meal, soy meal and soybean oil. And always you crush for the soybean meal because that's more valuable. It's fed to animals. But with biodiesel use increasing globally, you're starting to see more demand for soybean oil. And especially because palm oil is starting to look like a commodity of which you can substitute between a lot of vegetable oils. But palm oil is looking as a commodity that's going to be restricted in its production going forward because it's been taking out a lot of valuable forest land in Indonesia and Malaysia. So you might see less palm oil going forward and increased demand for bean oil. And soybean oil is a better feedstock for biofuels as well because it doesn't gel the way that palm oil does. So so in general, you might be looking at a soybean crush that is much more focused on the soybean oil value, not the meal value. And that would be a really significant change that we've never seen before. But just vegetable oils in general, like canola oil and, and currently palm oil, are um, seeing spectacular demand because of increased biodiesel use. Given the positive outlook for the world economy and oil prices, do you expect the assets under management in the commodity space to increase significantly in the next 12 to 18 months? 
I do. And, you know, the reason for that is, as we discussed before, again, it's a little bit of a vicious circle. High gasoline prices lead to high inflation expectations and, you know, lead to people looking to hedge inflation, which leads to more assets under management, driving more inflation in gasoline prices. And so I think that we are getting to that place where investors, we've had very good returns in the commodity space. That hasn't happened in a number of years. And as I've been saying that commodity prices are cyclical, but they all have different cycles. And so there is the energy cycle is one of the longer ones. And I think that we're just at the beginning of this energy cycle. But other cycles are going to shift higher and lower, but they're going to have a floor underneath them because of energy prices. So I think there will be a number of opportunities to do well in the commodity space as we go forward. And I think you're going to see a shift with further assets under management flowing into the space. Kathleen, thank you for this fascinating insight into the service that is provided by Queen Anne's Gate Capital. With more time, it would be interesting to discuss in greater detail your close contacts with the OPEC Plus group and also um, your, the outlook for renewable energy and indeed areas such as the cryptocurrency markets. For those investors who are serious about investing in the commodity markets, the Independent Research Forum is offering a short trial to Queen Anne's Gate Capital Service and can provide details of how to subscribe to their full service. More information is available on request from the Independent Research Forum. Thank you for listening to this IRF podcast with Kathleen Kelly, the CEO of Queen Anne's Gate Capital. 